There is a website that many of you are probably familiar with. The website is called Judici. It's probably the worst kept secret in the state of Illinois. There on the Judici website, you can find the court cases for 78 reporting counties in the state of Illinois. Don't take your phone out and look at Judici right now. You can do it later like everybody else does. And there are the court cases. Every crime committed in Illinois in those 78 counties is reported there on Judici. And normally when we mention Judici, it's spoken of in hushed tones. Names are mentioned, offenses are mentioned, crimes are mentioned, and gossip is exchanged. And someone will say very quietly, just look it up on Judici. It's all right there. You won't believe what, you've done, what they've done. Have you ever looked yourself up on Judici? I'm there. I was horrified the first time I saw my name on Judici, but there it is. If you go to Clark County and you look at court case number 2008-TR-9626, there I am. TR, though, is boring. That's traffic court. It's just the, the this most boring of all offenses. But there next to my name, under under case category, next to my name, it says criminal. And on the next page, under disposition, it has the word guilty right there. Now, that's bad enough, and, I, and I'm really sorry. But on the plus side, on the positive side, if you read, if you read about my case on Judici, you will find that I made what I think was a rather generous donation to the roads department in Clark County. Uh, it, was not a, it wasn't a big donation. I don't mean to brag. It wasn't a huge donation. But if you read the page, you will, you will see that they thought my donation was fine. So it says fine right next to it. And I, not bragging or anything, but they said it was fine. Finding your name on Judici is bad. I mean, there's your crime on the pages for everyone to read, but can, can you imagine, can you imagine your crime being called out in the pages of the Bible? Now, not your sin, because we know we all sin. You know, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are used to saying that, but your crime right there in the pages of the Bible, your guilt, the thing that proves you can't be trusted. The thing that proves you are someone to watch, to be watched that you probably shouldn't be left alone with valuables. Right there in the Bible, it says you are a menace to society. And there it is in black and white with your name right next to it. That's exactly what we have in a little letter in the back of your Bible. A little letter from the Apostle Paul to a man named Philemon. If you want to follow along. It's there in the Bibles that we provide. It's on page 1,000. If you get to 2 Timothy, you just need to go, and Titus, you need to go a little bit further to the right. If you hit Hebrews, you've gone too far. Go back. It's one page, page 1,000, the letter of Paul to Philemon. Philemon was a wealthy man. He had a big house. We know that because 
the church in Colossae, in the town of Colossae, they met at Philemon's home. Now, Philemon, being a wealthy man, he had a slave. The slave's name was Onesimus. And what we glean from the letter is that Onesimus has run away. Now, that was an offense. That was a crime, punishable by death. A runaway slave could be punished by death. It also seems apparent in the letter that Onesimus stole from Philemon before he ran away. Somehow, through God's grace, Onesimus ended up in Rome where Paul was under house arrest. And somehow he met the Apostle Paul there in Rome. And he found Paul and he found Jesus and he found purpose in the kingdom of heaven. He found grace from God. Grace that covers his sins. But the question remains, what can be done about his crimes? That's why Paul is addressing Philemon. And I think in a way, it addresses each one of us. Can we just admit, we have a hard time letting each other off the hook. We have a hard time letting people off the hook. We, we say things like, I'll forgive but I am not going to forget. <laughs> I will find a way to get even with you. It may take a while, but I will remember this and there will be a reckoning. Now understand that there are some things that shouldn't be forgotten. The problem isn't in the remembering though. The problem is in what the remembering does to us, how it changes us to hold on to those things. It, it causes us to hold other people at a distance. Because we start to wonder if maybe we're not the problem. Maybe the problem is in us. And if we don't get close to other people, then we can't get hurt. I mentioned Philemon was a wealthy man living in Colossae. The church met at his home. You remember the Colossians, right? Most of you who have been here for a while, you should remember the Colossians. We began this year by looking at the, Paul's letter to the Colossians. We called the letter called out, or we called our study called out, because that is the most literal definition of what the church is. We are called out. We are called out of society. We are called out of the world around us, and we are called together. I think we have an affinity here in Kansas for Colossae. I think we have an affinity for that town. It was a little town, just a few hundred people, not a very big town at all. It was a little town tucked between two larger towns. Over here, on this side, about 12 or 13 miles away, there was Hierapolis, right? And Hierapolis, uh, they had jobs there, they had industry there, a lot of things were happening in Hierapolis, and a lot of people lived over there. That was about 13 miles that way. Now, about 13 miles this way was Laodicea, and in Laodicea, they had hospitals, and they had, uh, they had fashion, and they had stores in Laodicea, and, and they, they had all kinds of high society, and they had wealth in Laodicea. Tucked in between the two, Hierapolis 13 miles away, Laodicea 13 miles away, there's little Colossae in the middle, shrinking, dying, not much is happening to Colossae, it's been forgotten. And yet Paul pours into them, into the, the four chapters of that little letter, this amazing letter, and at the center of his letter is Jesus, and he reminds us that he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. When we look at Jesus, we see what God is like. He reminds them that the church 
is the body of Christ. And he says, since you have been raised with Christ, you need to set your mind on things that are above. And it's there in Colossians chapter 3, verse 11, that Paul writes to them and he says, here, here in the church, here in the kingdom, here also in the hearts and the minds of believers, here, there is neither Greek or Jew. There is neither circumcised or uncircumcised. There is not barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free. But Christ is all and is in all. And we see that in the gospel that saves us, we enter into unique relationships with each other. And those categories, those old categories that used to divide us and tell us who's in and who's out, those categories don't apply because we see Christ in each other. And so, Paul sends that letter with Epaphras back to Colossae, and he sends along with him Onesimus. And with Onesimus, he sends a second letter addressed to Philemon. Philemon, who had owned that slave, Onesimus. Paul has news. This, this runaway, this thief, is now a brother in Christ. He's accepted the same gospel that you accepted, Philemon. In fact, Paul says, I consider him to be like a son to me. I kind of consider you to be a son to me too, Philemon. And so he writes Philemon with the opportunity to demonstrate that he has come to understand what grace truly is. That there is neither slave nor free, but that Christ is all and is in all. We begin there in verse 1. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, that's Philemon's wife. Aphia, our sister, Archippus, Archie, that's his, that's his son. He's our fellow soldier. And to the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Now accordingly, although I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I appeal to you. I like that. For love's sake, I appeal to you. I think, I think those are beautiful words. Because of the love that you've been shown, because of the love that I have been shown, I appeal to you. I think it's an appeal that each one of us should consider. Have we really understood the Gospel if we've only understood the Gospel for ourselves? He says, for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, I'm an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Now, formerly he was useless to you. But now, he is indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you. Sending my very heart. 
I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Onesimus, we don't name our kids Onesimus much anymore, but Onesimus was a common name for slaves back then. It means useful. I mean, you'd and run into a lot of slaves in the, in the, the Roman Empire, and, and their names would be Onesimus. It means useful. It's like calling a guy handy now. You're like, well, he's handy. However, after stealing from Philemon, after running away from home, Philemon had a different name for him. And Paul says, formerly he was useless to you, but I think he's useful now both to me and to you. Called him useless. I bet Philemon had other names for Onesimus that he didn't tell Paul about. <laughs> I bet there were other names that he didn't say in, in front of Paul. Paul doesn't make his appeal to Philemon based on Onesimus's past performance. He doesn't make his appeal based on his trustworthiness or even the promise of his future usefulness. Instead, he makes his appeal for love's sake. For the sake of the love that Jesus has shown you, will you show love to this man who is now your brother, who is my son? In a lot of ways, Onesimus and Philemon, they remind us of a couple of other brothers that Jesus introduced us to. Jesus tells that story about the man who had two sons, an older brother and a younger brother, and the younger brother took the father's wealth and ran away and squandered it on riotous living, came back broke and broken, made his way back home, and the father forgave him. The, the older brother, though, resented the grace that the father had shown him. Now, coming up this Wednesday night, we're looking at Tim Keller's book, The Prodigal God, and what I love about this book, the wow that is in this book, is that it confronts us all with a desperate need to understand the Father's love for us. That none of us, whether you are an older brother or younger brother, none of us are free of the need of God's grace. In Jesus' parable, the older brother can't even bring himself to speak in terms of relationship with the younger brother. When the father goes out to find out why the older brother isn't celebrating, he doesn't say, this brother of mine. What does he say? He says, this Son of yours. And like Philemon, there's times when we use a lot of names for each other and they are not names that speak a relationship. We may not call someone useless, although maybe we do. There's times when we make people feel worthless. There's times when we use names like liar or lazy, addict, good for nothing. We don't identify people by relationship, but instead we identify them by the crimes listed next to their name on judici or maybe the crimes that are spoken in gossip. And we've used that as an excuse 
for why we can't love this person, why we can't extend friendship to that person. I can't be friends with that person because they did this. I can't be friends with that person because they did that. I can't be in fellowship with that person. I think it would surprise some people to learn that Judici is not the Lamb's book of life. That when God welcomes us eternally into His kingdom, He's not going to consult a website. He's going to consult His Son. Now that's, that sounds good in theory. I mean, in theory, that's, that's fine. If we're speaking of generalities, this, this grace stuff sounds fine, but grace does not live in generalities. Instead, grace lives there in Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. Here, here where grace dwells, here with the called out, there is not Greek or Jew. There is not circumcised or uncircumcised. There is not barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free. But Christ is all and is in all. Now that's, that's, that's hard. That's hard when that slave has stolen from you and has, has run away. That's hard when that barbarian took your parking spot that you were waiting for. That's difficult in those moments. Or that person said hurtful things about you. Or that person who said hurtful things about someone you love. That person has proven they can't be trusted. What do we do when a younger brother comes back repentant? Onesimus. The younger brother came back with a changed heart, with a changed life. What do we do when he comes back like that, touched by Jesus' grace, just like we've been touched by Jesus' grace? What choice do we have? What choice do we really have? Paul's call to Philemon is Jesus' call to each one of us, and the call is to embrace the grace that first embraced you. Now, in Jesus' parable, the, the father runs to the younger son. He doesn't wait for the younger son to come back groveling. He runs to him and throws his arms around him and holds him. Like the older brother, Philemon needed to see that he had just as much need for grace as Onesimus. And Paul does this masterful job of encouraging him to do the right thing. To do what he knows Jesus has already done for him. We pick it up there in verse 17. Paul says to Philemon, so, so if you consider me your partner, by the way, that's the word that's used in Acts chapter 2. It means fellowship. If you consider me to be in fellowship with you because of our relationship with Jesus, then you're going to have to consider Onesimus to be in fellowship with you because of our relationship to Jesus. If you consider me to be your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing, that you owe me your own self. Now make no mistake, Onesimus had wronged Philemon. Make no mistake, Onesimus had stolen from Philemon. But make no mistake, there is no way 
that Philemon is going to allow Paul to pay him back. Instead, he's going to extend grace to Onesimus for love's sake by virtue of his relationship with Paul. Now, isn't that what Jesus did for us? Isn't that what Jesus does for us? God God extends His grace to us by virtue of our relationship with Jesus. If you flipped over just a few pages there to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, you would find there the words, there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Mediator is the one who intervenes between two in order to make or restore peace or, or to restore friendship. That's the role Jesus plays between us and God through God's grace. And it's the role that He plays between Philemon and Onesimus and between each one of us. (coughs) Embrace the grace that first embraced you. Paul knows Philemon can do this. Yet, look back in verse 7 again. Look back at verse 7. Paul says, For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love. Let me remind you, Paul's never been to Colossae. Not yet, anyway. He's not been there yet. He knows Philemon from Ephesus. He's met him there, likely. But he's never been to Colossae. And yet he says, For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. It makes me happy. I derive joy and comfort because I know you take care of other people. You take care of the other saints. You do a wonderful job of of taking care of others. And I think it's a beautiful thought. I know there are people out there who are refreshed by you. I can say that about Kansas Christian Church. I can say that about this church. There are people who are refreshed because of you. There are people in our community. There are people in our world. There are people all over who are refreshed because of you by your loving by your giving by your grace you have refreshed them and i love to tell those stories and then you come down to the end of the letter and look at verse 20 paul says yes brother but i want some benefit from you in the lord and so refresh my heart in christ show me you can do this show me you can be this gracious Show me just how gracious you can be by being gracious to this man. And then he says in verse 21, confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. I love that. I know you're going to do even more than I say. I want you to hear that as a dare. I dare you to be gracious. I dare dare you to be gracious to this person. I dare you to just blow my mind and do something so incredibly gracious that I'm not even going to be able to believe it. Just just blow my mind with, with grace. Do it for the sake of love. Do it for love's sake. I mean, isn't that motivation enough? Why do we give money to the generous bucket? Why, when I told you about Amy's friend this morning, did I watch people go to that bucket? Little kids go into that bucket. You do it for love's sake. Why do we give to missions all over the world, both local and and far away? We we do it for love's sake. Why do we give to the local food pantry and and the local ministries? Like, like, 
things that are happening through faith and action. We do it for love's sake. Why did so many people in this church work so hard this last week to put together two funeral dinners to let families know you are important to us and we're going to stand with you while you're hurting. We did it for love's sake. Why do we forgive? We do it for love's sake. We don't do it because they were sorry enough. We don't do it because, well, we still kind of like them. (laughs) We do it for love's sake. Why do we show people they're valuable to us and to God? We do it for love's sake. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing to embrace the grace that first embraced us? Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing to blow people's minds with just how gracious we can be for love's sake? Paul wraps it all up and he says, now at the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers, I will graciously be given to you. In other words, I want out of prison. And when I get out, I'm coming to Colossae. I want to see what you're doing there. Epaphras is from Colossae. It says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, he sends you greetings. So do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. We spent a lot of time getting to know the Colossians. I mean, 12 weeks from, from the 1st of January up until right before Easter. I think we've developed an affinity for this church. I think we relate to this church. In fact, I haven't preached through Colossians just once, but in the time I've been here, I've preached through it three times, and I'm already starting to wonder when I can get away with it again. I think we, I think we have an affinity for the Colossian church. And this is weird, but I hate to tell you this. <laughs> we, we've gotten to know these people who have been dead for so long, so well, but I I almost hate to tell you this. Within a few months of this writing, maybe a couple of years, but maybe just a few months, an earthquake hit Colossae. And a lot of these people that we've been reading about died. The the town never recovered. And within a hundred years, the town is, is gone. But it didn't change the call. It didn't change what Paul wrote to them. It didn't change the impact. And it didn't change their commitment to Christ, their commitment to one another, their commitment to be called out. Now, church history tells us a lot about Onesimus. I'm not going from the Bible here. I'm going from church history. But church history tells us a lot about Onesimus, the thief. Onesimus, the slave. Onesimus, the runaway. Church history tells us a lot about him. First thing we know is that Philemon... He set him free. I mean, you knew he would, right? I'm not spoiling the story. Philemon set Onesimus free. And that former slave, that that runaway, that thief, Onesimus, he became a preacher. (laughs) And church history tells us that after Timothy left the city of Ephesus, Onesimus came and succeeded him there. In fact, church history doesn't refer to him as Onesimus the slave, church history calls him Bishop Onesimus. Not slave, not even former slave Onesimus, and they certainly don't call him useless. One of Onesimus' most important projects in ministry, one of the things that he took on, 
Onesimus felt it was necessary to preserve the letters of the Apostle Paul. And so church history says that he took it on as his duty to preserve those letters. He collected as many of the letters that Paul had written as he could. And he knew they were worth preserving. You look at your Bible today, you look at these letters from the Apostle Paul, and you and I today benefit from a former slave, a runaway, and a thief who was shown grace for love's sake. You and I benefit from that former slave turned preacher. That means he even preserved, he even preserved the letter that declared to the, to the entire world for all time that he had stolen something. He even, even preserved his own letter, that, that the letter that, that declared him to be a runaway slave and a thief. And, and I'm thankful that, I can't believe the humility of that. I'm very thankful he didn't take an eraser and said, you know, we can clean up just a little bit of it. They don't need to know I stole something, you know. He didn't. He left it all right there. It also causes me to wonder, it causes me to wonder in grace, how many people are there in our community that we've already judged? We've read their rap sheet on judici and we've made up our minds about what kind of person that is. Or we've just simply listened to the gossip. What if, what if God did something amazing with one of those people? Because we showed them grace for love's sake. What if God took a former menace to our community and turned him into a preacher. Think about it just a little bit. What if there's another menace running around out there somewhere and God turns him or her into a preacher? Embrace the grace that embraced you for love's sake. And let's find out what God can do. Thank you, Danelle. Danelle's going to lead us in one more song. We're going to stand together and pray. And then uh, you are dismissed to go out and show amazing grace to others. Let's pray. Father, we, we don't need a website like Judici to tell us our sins. We're all well aware of our crimes. We're aware of our failures and our screw-ups. But Father, there are people around us who have no one to tell them about Your grace. No one to tell them that they are loved, that they are forgiven. And so for love's sake, let us be their source of grace. Let us embrace the grace that first embraced us through your Son. And let us love them so they can know your love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.